0: yesterday I'm
1: just I couldn't help it Liz I couldn't even get I couldn't even get two minutes in it I know well my um the introduction is going to be so quick for us like usually we go about 15 minutes and we're not going to do that because we have such an mm-hmm. awesome guest I am yep. I am fangirling over here I'm excited fangirling. I have so many questions um I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to yes. spill the beans before we get started. Don't so. spill the
0: beans. Don't spill no, I the beans. Won't. Don't spill the I beans. Won't. We're gonna go to the auntie moment because people been waiting to hear our auntie moment. Liz, Liz has has had life going on, so I can't wait for the auntie moment. Liz is gonna have an auntie moment, so you know, y'all pull up a seat because I don't know what she's going to say because I haven't been able to connect with her all week, so I don't know all the things that's been going on. So bring on the auntie moment.
1: Well, you know, my auntie moment this week is talking about, I'm going to title it joy. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to go into a monologue joy. Uh, no, really it's joy. So I think <laughs> I've shared this before in other episodes. One of my favorite quotes that I often use is by Audre Lord, And she says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. And I know that we talk a lot about self-care and what that means. Check out the episode with Melanie Ryan on the equity of self-care. But I don't think, and I'm gonna say this a lot and that people are gonna quote me on this, I don't think we talk about this enough. And I also don't think that we have really sat back and thought about what joy means to us individually. Because I know what joy means to me and, but I'm in a very high stress, a lot of things changing environment. And you know what? I put joy, I put self-care in the background because I feel like I don't have time for it because I feel like it's taking up too much of my time where I have all these other things and all these other little people getting my attention. And so what brought me to this joy conversation were my mom, Mama D, and my tias. So, let me paint you the picture of, of, of what I witnessed this week with, because I've been hanging out a lot with my mom and my family since we're about to leave over to the UK. So, my mom is one of eight there's five women, three men. And then I have a godmother who is like a tia to me. And her sisters. So there are four of them. So I have nine women that have been part of my life since I was born. They're all my tías. And they have all gone through so much personally, socially, professionally. um, A lot of difficult experiences that have shaped who they are. And they really had to think about what joy meant to them. And I don't think they ever had the privilege to think about that. And so I'm over here sitting here watching them. They're drinking their cafecito. They're drink, they're eating their pan dulce, sweet bread, like Mexican sweet bread. And they're just joyful. Like they're just so happy and so joyful and nothing phases them. And it's like, because they went through so much. My question is be joyful now well that's not a question like that's a statement like I want to be joyful now can I be joyful period I want to be joyful now and you know one of the things because as when we get this together like I journal a lot and my the the one question that came up for me is like can I be joyful and successful at the same time what kind of freaking question is that what what came what (laughs) what kind of question is that in my head well, first of all,
0: you know that we often have to choose between those things, right? When we think about a career, we weren't really brought up to say, it's career plus. It's career then this, these things in this way, and this is how it's supposed to progress. And so we have had to decide what are those new roles that we want to not only just break generational patterns, but sometimes curses. Mm-hmm. And we've had to reestablish what life is going to be for us because we're not going to wait till retirement to live. And so I'm with you. Like I was just uh, joking with our guests, like I got black girl joy. And, you know, typically that's not something you start off with, right? Like, it's not something you just like, casually break into the conversation but given all the things that we've had to go through right whether to get to this point of self-expression or awareness to sit in these moments with our elders right don't tell your your tts that i call them elders i, just don't, want that.
1: I, don't, <laughs> that. I don't want that hey they me. they don't you know they call themselves glamas and like they, no they don't mm Mm-mm, they're on so it. Don't you know, tell them. T- not all just, of them.
0: Just cut past this. Tell them to pa- <laughs> tell them to start it right here at this point. On they are um, the most fabulous
1: set of of theas that you've ever seen. But you know, you have a good point, Shara. And a lot of my clients, and this is why it keeps coming up. A lot of my coaching clients come from underrepresented groups. Most of them are women. They're they're women of color. And joy is a constant theme in our conversations, and it's either. I want X, Y, Z, and to be joyful, or I want, and this is my favorite one. And one of my clients actually taught me this. So I love it when clients teach me things, which is every day, but this was something that stuck to me and will stuck for me. She's like, I won't allow people to rob me of my joy. Mm. I was like, in session, you don't need me anymore.
0: Period. You pay all your money. You get all your coins.
1: You collect all your
0: coins at the end. I paid her.
1: I I paid her. I was like, "Here you go." And it's like, and I know we have our our reflection time at the end of our session, Mm -hmm. but. I want to ask the audience, or our listeners, the audience, look at me. I'm with Arsenio Hawkins. I was like, where they at? Where they I don't at? know. Are they somewhere. You- um, but I, I want to bring the moment of reflection now, and then we'll bring another moment of reflection at the end. What does joy mean to you? And what holds you back from feeling that you aren't deserving of joy? Right now. Mm-hmm. Not tomorrow. Right now. Not because like 20 something years before I can retire. Mm, That is way too long for me to be waiting for Joy to come around. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. I'm not going to lie to you. I think that this question would have been different if you would have asked me pre-pandemic. Not to to note, just FYI, we still in it for anybody who didn't get the memo. Um, But really, one of the things that I would say now is that I had to decide, I had to define and literally go to the dictionary and look up joy versus happiness because I didn't know the difference between them. And I was thinking that I was experiencing them very similarly, mm. but I know that joy is more sustainable than happiness, which feels like an inflection point And then you kind of come down joy is this continuous, like reach to that. You just kind of embody in your in your every moment, right? So I had like the other day, and this, and, and and my intro to our guest is going to show you a little bit about that as well. But one of the things that I had joy, like if y'all you know me, I love my granddad, right? He's ninety two years old, um, uh, and and he's my I'm I'm his best friend. If he don't know that, he know now. Uh, but <laughs> but when I think about when I call him. Right, no matter how busy my day is, I carve that time out. That period is not happy. That period is joy. And the inflection point is because I'm in connectivity with something I know that I love, that is deeply a part of who I am. And so whenever I find those things, I know that those are where joy lives. So I know that we want to hear what the listeners say, but when you said that, I couldn't help but say that because it's like joy is not, it doesn't really go away. It's just you have to keep tapping into it and reminding yourself where it is.
1: It's not like you're going to go, you're not going to go through hardships or hard times or difficult things or difficult situations or um, I, I deal with anxiety quite a lot. But at the end of the day, Everything I know that everything's going to work out the way it should work out. And I've I've Mm -hmm. made strides on my anxiety, especially during this time. And I know you constantly check in and you're always like, how are you feeling? Like Mm -hmm. pulse check. So I know that I've made strides to it, but I also know that if I don't make a conscientious effort to bring joy to the forefront, that I'll forget about it and I'll get stuck in this, you know, turbulence of 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 saying i don't even know how i don't even know how to describe it it's just like all the demons come up essentially but yeah anyways that's my auntie moment i wanted to give a shout out to my tias because they brought that up when they were drinking their cafecita, and it was so loud y'all a house full of nine latina women Drinking cafecito. There wasn't even wine. They took the wine out later. Yeah. They drank drank all my wine. But yes, no. (laughs) First
0: of all, don't act like that's not how it goes in any other. For all those people, especially in Black culture, you know, the louder it gets, the more good the conversation is. It's not yelling. It's just that everybody needs to be heard at this increased volume so that you know that the party has gotten started. I feel like it's those triggers, right? It's like <laughs> letting you know you should be in this room with us if you have a certain age. Don't come in here, kids. Don't come in here. This is not your time. This, if this elevation... With the aunties and the grandparents and you know, the neighbors who smell some food <laughs> on the grill, you know, or that person always coming to eat when you say, Oh, I'm going over to such and such house, and they just happen to show up. You know that person. We all got that person who be like, So what y'all doing today? I'm
1: just gonna come on down. And they I said, bring Listen. Their, mine is my niece, and she brings her Tupperware. It's like this of Tupperware course. that has like Tupperware against Tupperware. And I was like, What do you do it? And she's like, I'm hungry, like y'all got food so yes. I'm i bring my food. foil
0: i bring my aluminum foil and i, I know
1: no our launch party
0: <laughs> brother there <laughs> you go judging me i know my people i know my people <laughs> i know my people my people was like y'all think y'all got leftovers? so who leaving with them that was the question it wasn't if it's if, who is leaving who? with
1: them let's get to introducing our guest yes. Uh, Absolutely. Do, we, do we want her to come on I'm, now or do you want to do your introduction? No, let me introduce. Let me let okay. me introduce. So
0: before this guest comes on, I need to tell you how this happens and who this person is. And so first and foremost, you know, we get listener questions. And during our launch, we got a real interesting question from one of our listeners who was like, you know, you all keep talking about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, rep- and specifically around representation. What is one of those um, when we think about literature and like the fact that there's instances now where people are removing history and removing stories? Where are the pa- the places where typically um, black stories are underrepresented or people of color are underrepresented in literature? Can y'all have a conversation around that? And I was like, of course, but the and part was the the challenge, right? She was like. I think it's important to have it from a perspective of fantasy. And I was like, "Mm? underrepresented groups plus fantasy? She was was very
1: specific. And she knows who we're talking about because she listens to our podcast. She was very specific. (laughs) She's also an author, too. Yes, she's
0: amazing. Uh, So I asked her, like, okay, so why fantasy? She said, because. Oftentimes we have leaned into like social media and other places to get escapism and, and create these fantasies. But really traditionally you see very little, unless maybe you look at maybe comics, there's very little stories that are just taking up space around under uh, black stories in the space of fantasy. So I was like, okay, you done, you done made this challenging for me, but let me just say, look, okay. For those of y'all not religious. Okay. You might want to fast forward. Okay. But God, okay. Y'all know I'm a faithful person. Uh, And so literally what happened was we had this question on our list. Liz and I were going to have a review of what we were going to have for a topic. That same day, I got a reminder for one of my favorite bookstores called Kendra stories here in Houston, Texas. Shout out to them. This is where I get my books for any gifts or just for anything that I want specifically around um, black authors. And so I, I, get this alert on my phone, randomly, literally two hours before this event is going on about a rescheduled author talk. And it, I opened it up and literally it is a, it is a black author talking about fantasy. So I'm like, this, this ain't no (laughs) coincidence. Go on guy, order these steps, order these steps. So I literally was like, I ain't going to make it. This thing is starting. I got a client at the same time. 30 minutes later, client canceled. So Client wow. cancels. I literally like okay. I literally got less than an hour to get to this place. I get it. I literally get in a car. I've not done any research, and y'all know me. I love to do some research to be informed. And I was I have nothing but just this, this invitation to go to this talk. And 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 here I walk in a little bit late, right? Just to let FYI, in case that come up. Um, while they're doing her introduction, and I sit down, and every question that our listener has started to unreveal in this conversation. So here we go. I'm like, okay, where's that daring boldness? Okay. And I just went up to this individual at the end. I was like, Hey, you know, I don't know anything about this genre. I'm super curious. And I got this podcast. Would you come? And we started to chat and talk. And at the end, it was clearly a yes, because she's here. But I wanted to share that because I think it's only right that you understand how purposeful and how meaningful this moment is, not just for myself, but for our listeners to know how much it takes that courage and that resilience. And hopefully you get to hear her courage and resilience. When I introduce our guest today, okay, let me read this right. Okay. Uh New York Times bestselling author, indie best-selling author. Okay. Not uh, known for all her things around fantasy and a lover of all things monsters, mythos, magic. Hailing from Atlanta, but currently live in Little Rock, Arkansas. Miss Ayanna Gray.
1: Come on down. Look, oh. this is we need an audience. And see, <laughs> oh. this is where you need an audience. Thank you. Welcome, Ayanna. I we are so excited to Good. have you here. Thank you, darling. I have my Kindle Thank book. Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, we love so Kindle.
1: <laughs> yes. I know. Shara gets mad at me because I do Kindle all the time. But usually I have like a real book, a Kindle book, and an audio book. Yes, I'm one of those people. I'm that way. I think I have... Yeah. I have unresolved ADHD issues. I'm pretty sure, but you know, that's a, that's another discussion. So how are you, Ayana? (laughs) Good. I'm good. I was just saying, I cover all my bases too. When I'm really enjoying a book,
2: like I'll get the Kindle version and then the physical so that I can take the Kindle with me if I need to leave or if I'm cleaning, I can have the audio. So I totally understand. Um, But I'm doing, I'm doing really well. Happy to be home after a very busy summer. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, you've been very busy. And I'm so glad that we were able to get you on our podcast. I know that you're taking some time off um, soon. So it was just like, like Shara said, it was divine intervention. I mean, when I got that call, she's like, I have someone. It's she's a Black woman. She's amazing. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. And yes, let's do it. And um, I'm an avid reader. Um, and I'll be honest, like a friend of mine got me into fantasy and now I can't take it away. So uh, it, I used to just be like rom-coms and um, biographies and everything. And so now she's gotten me into to fantasy and it, it's quite incredible. Uh, one of the things that we like to do with all of our guests and You've had like five minutes or so to to see our wheel. Is um, we like to start our guests on the diversity wheel. It's really all the uh, components in the diversity wheel of of what makes who you are, what makes you up, and because we're firm believers that that's what drives your values, and then and then your boundaries as well. So, what are some of the components on the diversity wheel that resonate with you? So I'm just gonna make sure I have the the wheel in front of me again.
2: Yeah. Um, it was, a, that was an interesting, I've never seen the diversity wheel before, but it was interesting to look at it and really have to think about the things that, that resonate with me because there are different kinds of, um, ways things can resonate with me. Um, almost immediately, the very first thing that stuck out to me was race. Um, and it's interesting because some of these things resonate with me, not because naturally, they would resonate with me naturally. It's because I understand that that's the first thing that when people see me that they see is my race. And I've just come to a point where I I understand that and I navigate throughout the world understanding that no matter how much money I have, no matter what my education is, no matter where I'm from, the first thing people see is my race, the color of my skin. And they will make judgments good or bad because of it. So race was one, um, age is one, economic status, appearance, stress, professional classification. And again, these are things that um, it's more like they resonate with me because I understand that these are the ways the world defines me by, especially at this point in my life. So they're not the things that are most important to me, um, but they're the things that I, I feel very conscious of in my everyday life.
1: I, th- I think that's really interesting that you bring that up on how the world sees you versus how you see yourself inwardly, you know, um, and, and that's mm-hmm. so important to bring that up because um, especially people of color, you are having to navigate that. We are having to navigate that on an everyday basis and how the world sees us or how the world sees you. It shapes who you are, shapes how you show up in different places. It it shapes on the decisions that you make or the courage or lack of courage. Um, You know, Shara talked a lot about courage earlier, and she is she is an example of what courage looks like, and especially in our kind of more than words podcast that we've been we've been doing. So I think that's really interesting. And thank you for sharing that. Um, Seeing as it is, you know, somewhere outwardly that you're like how the world sees me and how I understand how the world sees me what are some of the stereotypes that you have faced with and how has that impacted you um I think
2: a lot the stereotypes that I've that I've had to face have been pretty typical um I remember as a little kid um, like the kindergarten aged I remember that I cut my finger specifically my middle finger and she went to show my teacher and I held up my middle finger to show her that I'd hurt my middle finger. And she wrote a report to my mom that I had flicked her off, that I had given her the, the bird at five years old, to which my mother came to the school and was was pretty angry because she was like, "Ayana is five. She doesn't even know what that means. And it was interesting because I didn't know about that situation until later. But this idea that even as a child, I was predisposed to being disrespectful, predisposed to being troublesome, predisposed to being bad. And you know the immediate assumption wasn't this little child has hurt herself and is telling an adult that they need help. It's she's doing something disrespectful. And that was the immediate assumption. Um, and I watched that happen to my brother, especially as a little black boy. And I watched it happen to my little sister. Um, so the stereotypes of being troublesome, especially in, in school and, and in structured places, um, as I've gotten older, like now I'm in my 20s, I've dealt with a lot, like a lot of the stereotypical angry black woman woman expectation. So we talk about resting B, B word faces um, and I've had to consciously work on my face, work on meaning I have to consciously make sure that I look approachable and not just kind of approachable but very approachable because my approachable isn't the same as someone else's approachable. Um, in the workplace now that we're all during the pandemic we were all totally virtual so my face was especially highlighted and I got comments from people that Ayana doesn't look very friendly, Ayana is stone-faced, Ayana is this which I pointed out was interesting because there were white male colleagues of mine who did the exact same thing but were never called out for it. Um, I remember one time at another job um, I was standing like on the other side of the room and I was telling a joke and making expressions while I was telling the joke and somebody was like, oh, my gosh, is Ayana angry? What, what happened? And I was like, I was just telling a joke. And so this perception that, you know, that anger is my default. Um, getting, you know, when when specifically men exhibit certain personality traits like confidence, like um, demanding uh, quality work, you know, these kinds of things when, when they do it, it's, it's being professional. It's okay. It's just them setting standards. But when me as a black woman, when I do it, um, it's unfriendly, it's hostile, it's any number of negative, uh, traits. So that's, that's what I've had to deal with a lot. I've gotten a lot of, you speak really well. Um, which is also interesting because I don't, I I think I just, I speak the way my, my parents and grandparents speak. Um, but this, I this surprise that I know how to string words together and and communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, always this tone of surprise. So yeah, there have been a ton of of uh, stereotypes that I've dealt with throughout
1: my life. How mm-hmm. how did that shape? How did those experiences shape you and who you are today? And then, in uh, enhance your impacted your your reason for being an, um, an author, if it did.
2: Yeah. Um, so one, one big thing growing up is that I felt like as, little, as a little Black girl who really enjoyed magical stories and fantasy, um, I didn't see myself in those stories. And to take it a step further, not only did I not see myself in the magical stories, but in the places I did see myself, these were often stories of trauma and specifically racial trauma. And so I had to, I had to make a choice as a kid. Do so I want the magic fun stories with no one who looks like me? Or do I want the stories with people who look like me, but it's probably gonna make me sad (laughs) Um, more times than not. And so when it came time to write Beasts of Prey, like a lot of authors, I think I wrote in a place of wish fulfillment. I wrote the book that I had wanted to see and never found. So I deliberately wrote a story that centers black children unapologetically so but also lets them get to have a magical adventure that doesn't center on racial trauma bad things happen to Kofi and Ekon the main characters of the story but it's not because of the color of their skin and i think that uh, you know for personal reasons i have a bias like a bias and a personal like stake with black children because i was once a black child I think that black children deserve to have that respite and that release and that chance to escape and have magical adventures without also being traumatized, so.
0: Yeah, I think that, yeah, it's so interesting how you put trauma into sadness versus fantasy into like wish, right? That, That language alone is oftentimes so simplistic but so complex in how you actively live your life as an adult, right? And to think about how do you, what are the messages when we talk to children about what spaces they get to be great? And so I'm sitting here listening, like, how many books have I brought for my young, uh, my, my, my kids that I don't have any children, but I've taken all types of kids on. Okay. I'm a <laughs> TT to a lot of people, but I think now about all the books that I've purchased that have been so overly indexed on trauma or explaining the hard things versus fantasy and wishing and aspirational places to really, um, horn in on that piece of creativity that I so much enjoy. But I also think at the same time, what's coming up is we have so many clients right now, adults who are so centered with trauma, right? They've centered Mm -hmm. their values around trauma. They've centered who they are around trauma and that they're trying to like literally peel back those layers and say, who am I underneath Mm -hmm. aspirational? Who do I wish to be? How can I have more impact? How do I stop this trauma today so I don't bring that into the next spaces? And just thinking about it in that simple way of, I can just think about what I wish and hope to be versus the things that have created me. So with that said, I mean, I'm curious, right? I'm curious to understand, I mean, I don't even understand enough about how a person becomes an author, especially a New York Times bestseller author. I couldn't help it. I had to put that black girl magic on it. Um, but but what is that journey? Like if with these things, stereotypes and microaggressions and all of these things kind of in this space of why you should not. Mm-hmm. How do you aspire to be in this industry with this, with these types of stories?
2: Oh, I think, um, As simple as it may sound, it starts with doing what you love. I write not because I, you know, as a kid, I didn't write because I wanted to be a New York Times bestseller or make a ton of money or anything like that. I wrote because it made me happy and it brought me joy. And I'm not an athletic person, but I knew the thing I was good at was books, you know like I was a good, I was quote unquote, a good reader. I was a fast reader. I was able to read big books and I was able to write in a way that my teachers, even at an early age, recognized that I had, that was my gift. Um, And so it starts with doing what you love. Um, I've been a writer, you know, and I've written stories for basically as long as I can remember. Um, When I got to be you know, I had a goal like, oh, it'd be cool to be published before I'm 20. It'd be cool to be published before I graduate from college. And I kept pushing it back. And then um, in, I graduated from college and I'd had some cool experiences in college with studying abroad in Ghana and taking some really cool classes as a political science major that kind of got ideas in my head. Then when I graduated from college and moved back home, I I remember feeling like I'd failed in some way because I wasn't off to medical school or grad school or law school or like my friends. Um, So I retreated to the thing that made me happy and the thing that brought me joy, you know, both actually. Um, And it was writing, it was getting lost in stories. And I started writing and writing and writing. And it took me, um, it took me five years. I always try to be really transparent about that. It wasn't an overnight success story. I was working on it and writing it without a lot of people knowing it after my day job. I'd come home and do this because again, I wasn't being paid, but I loved the story and I loved the characters and I couldn't stop thinking about them and wondering where their adventure would take them. So I found my agent on Twitter, actually, there was a Twitter event where you pitch your book um, and if agents like it, like, like the tweet, that's them basically saying, send your book to me. Uh, and it was created actually for marginalized creators by a literary agent who wanted to create a space for marginalized creators to get their books out. Um, so I pitched my book on Twitter, agents liked it. I sent it out to these agents who had requested to see my work and got uh, got requested, got you know an offer of representation from now my, he's now my literary agent. We worked on the book even more. So now we're six years in. And then in July, 2020, he sold um, we did a three book deal. So Beasts of Prey is the first in a trilogy of books, of fantasy books. Um, so 2015 is when it started and we did, we sold in 2020 and then book one came out in 2021, book two came out in 2022. So this has been a really long journey. And I just, I want people to know it's not, it's not, it doesn't come happen overnight. It doesn't sometimes even happen in a year. It's taken me now seven years. I'm
1: seven years into this and and still have another book to write. So, and yeah, I think, because when I was stalking you on your website, I shouldn't say that word, but I was like, I was like, I'm, I just want to know everything about her. I saw in your FAQs on your website where you started out in your word count and where you ended up in your word mm-hmm. count. And what I got from that part of your website was we always talk about progress over perfection. And mm-hmm. we always say, just do it, like, find the thing that you love, find the thing that you're good at, and then just do it and and stick to it. And it's going to be a huge journey and your end product is not going to be where you think or where you thought you were going to end up being. It's going to be totally different, but you're going to get there. So tell mm. me about that journey of like when you started with, I think it was like 95,000 words and where you ended up and what, what was that progress like and what what, what happened during that time.
2: Yeah. So I I didn't even truly start with 95,000 words. I mean, I wrote so many half drafts and unfinished drafts those first like four or five years before I even got a finished draft done. And then when I think it was done, I was at, you know, so in, in book world, you don't use page count, you use word count. Um, and I was at like 95, 96,000 words, which at that time was the biggest thing I'd ever written. Um, and then I took it to my literary agent. He happens to be very editorial and very good at kind of being able to evaluate stories and see how to make them better. And he, we talked and he gave me ideas and told me things I could do to make the book better. And I started over again. That's actually how I work is I I always start each draft from page one. Um, so I took the things he had said and my own feedback after you know taking some time away from the project and coming back to it and rewrote it. And then it was bigger because I had added more details and, and you know, really leaned into the characters and getting to know them. Then we sold it. And I did the same thing with my editor. She wrote me this beautiful edit letter, put all these notes in. Um, and after thinking about her feedback, plus again, taking time away and coming back to it with new eyes, I was like, oh, there's a better way to do this. Um, and it grew again. And so I think Beasts of Prey was like 120,000 words when it was all said and done. And that's not like, I didn't just add just like 20,000 or 24,000 words. I got rid of stuff, replaced it, and then added on top of it. So I probably have written over like close to half a million words for these books. It's just that they didn't all make it. Um, But I, I think it's what you said, like you have to be, you can't be afraid of doing something badly. You know, that's what stopped me for a long time is I wanted to be perfect. You have to let yourself do the thing badly and get better at it, and understand that this is a starting point, not the finish line, and you will get better the more and more you do it, and let other people in to help you.
0: And and that's really, first of all, I mean, that's the most, the hardest thing, but also the most important thing, letting people in on the things that matter to you the most, and Mm -hmm. getting that feedback, like I, I think about all the times that, some of the best parts of who I now am was because someone brought it to my attention that it was an opportunity for me to be, do better or be better. And mm-hmm. it takes such a big effort, right, to be open-minded and have a growth mindset or an abundance mindset to think about the, the intention that this person is trying to offer you, right, to to, to be your best self. Because Candidly speaking, I'm not the most trusting person. But when I think about my experiences, right, the things that's happened to me, though how the whole world has shaped me, my upbringing, those things, to dispel all that and remove it, right, and to just say, no, this is what I'm here to do, and these are the people who are coming in to help and support me, and it doesn't have to be perfect. I'm just going to follow and be faithful in the process. Uh, is a really bold move. <laughs> it is. <laughs> So what did it feel like in those moments of like this seven year journey and how does it feel now?
2: Oh, um, I think I'm still processing it in a way. Like some of it I'm still going through, you know, like I'm still, I just published uh, my second book last week, a week ago from today. Um, I won't lie, it was lonely. It was, it was lonely along the way. What's been really gratifying has been like Adding new like this like for all the the pain and the stress of sometimes writing books and putting them out in the world, I've created a you know communities plural uh, within this world. And growing up, I didn't have a lot of friends who liked to write, let alone liked to write fantasy. And now, and I, I definitely did not have like a community of women who looked like me who liked to write fantasy. Like I had friends every so often, but they were they were white women, and they they were lovely people, but. You feel like, am I the only one sometimes? And it's been really lovely, like, as I now as an adult to see, like, I'm not the only one. Like, there are lots of people who come from my background, understand why certain things are important to me, but also have the same loves that I do. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's been incredibly satisfying as I've gotten older to have that community of people who you don't have to explain yourself to. They just, they just understand because they grew up the way that you did. And, and love you and don't make you feel less
1: than. I mean, community is something that is really important to us and our more than words. And you're officially part of our community now. You can't get rid of us. We're, you're, you're stuck with us. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <What>? Oh, yay. Cher's <laughs> like, stop scaring people. <laughs> um. So what is, with all your experiences and like, I know that you're still processing, you know, your, your, your personal impact and, and um, what it's done for you, but what is the legacy or what is the impact that you want to do with your work?
2: So I have a, you know, kind of overarching long-term goal. Um, I am not the only Black author who's doing what I'm doing, right? Not even in the children's space. I, I hope, and I want kids to go to the library or the bookstore or any place that has books. And when they say I'm looking for magical stories, I want them to have options on options on options. I want Black kids to be able to see not one, not two, not three, not five, not 10, but hundreds of fantasy stories where they can see themselves centered and being celebrated for everything that makes them them. But I also want for non-Black children to get to find fantasy stories with all sorts of different people. I think that's important. When you see other people as heroes, when you see other people portrayed in positive lights, it builds empathy, it builds connectivity. You see the humanity and that we all share. Um, And I think that's really, really important, especially for kids. And then for adults who still have their inner child that needs to be nourished, I want them to be able to have that experience, too, because I write for young adult because my characters are teens. But I've had 80 year olds read my books and say thank you, because I definitely didn't have this as a kid. And I was able to rediscover a piece of my inner child that I thought I had lost. So I want to contribute to this canon of of diverse literature. Um, where everybody can find themselves in stories.
1: I I think young adult books are so important to have. I I read a lot of young adult books. <clears throat> um, one because younger generations. I I <laughs> one of my values is being vibrant, and I love being youthful. I I always forget my own age, and that's how I'm going to keep it forever and ever. As you heard my tia auntie story this this morning, it runs in the family. But I love young adult books because it nor- it's normalizing my experiences that I had when I was a young adult. And now I'm processing them and saying, oh, I wasn't the only one going through this or this isn't weird or, ab- or abnormal. It, it, it actually is like it happens to a lot of people. And then once you normalize something, you can then start working on healing anything, any trauma that's gone on you. When you feel alone and you feel like you're the only one, that shame and that fear just progresses and it gets bigger than that. So I I love young adult books because it, it does normalize that. But what got you into writing young adult books?
2: Oh, I think uh, a combination of things, but part of it's just like, coincidental timing in that I am um, a millennial and I grew up during the YA boom so I was a teenager when the last Harry Potter book came out I was a teenager when the Hunger Games were coming out when Divergent came out when Maze Runner came out when Twilight was huge like I was I was a teenager at precisely the time that books for teens were being super super promoted um, and I really enjoyed them I mean I have some of them have aged differently but Um, I've really, at that time, enjoyed these stories. Um, There were not a lot of stories with kids who looked like me and teen girls who looked like me, but I was still enjoying them. Um, And I think that's, that's a huge part of what's kind of shaped me as a writer, but also what makes YA, young adult YA, is that these are stories of people, young people, who are finding their place in the world. They're finding their purpose in the world. And even though they're teenagers doing that, that's a very universal idea, right? I'm about to turn 30 next year and I'm going to have to kind of find my new kind of place in this in this place called the 30s. Um, when I was a double digits and I, I turned 10, I had to kind of find my new spot as a double digits and as a preteen and as a teen and as a college student and it'll go on and on. You know, God willing, you know, if I, I live to be like my grandma, 80, 83, that's me having to find my place again and again. So I think this is something that appeal. We're all constantly trying to find our place in the world, our people, our mission, our purpose, what we should be doing, what, what makes us joyful. Um, and that really resonates and that's you see that a lot in YA.
1: Okay. I'm tearing yeah. up, Shara. You got to take this over. I was about I'm, to say, I, she about I'm to sorry. cry. I could tell <laughs> the water. Oh.
0: The, I was like, She about to start crying. I'm sorry, because I knew it was coming. There was that phase. I know her enough. I said, let me go get ready for this question. I mean, first of all, we want to acknowledge the emotion, so you should let it build up. But I will say that the imagery that you, not only the, the piece around allowing people to really, or young adults or people to decide these creatives to have creative spaces to find themselves, their stories, who they want to be, who they aspire to be, who they just want to spend some time being curious about and just play within their imagination while they find spaces that are safe for them outside of what the real world offers is such a pleasure. And I started reading these the praise. And let me just say, I didn't get through a lot of pages because I'm not a fast reader. Actually, when y'all was talking about reading, I was thinking about when I was in school. I was like, my armpits would get so hot thinking about reading all <laughs> out loud. But, um, but I, Liz and I, first of all, for the audience and for yourself, Liz and I worked overseas in Equatorial Guinea for about five years, and or a little over five years, maybe for Liz. And being in Africa is a different experience for a person. Who has never, who's always aspired to understand their African roots and to see how close that community is to who I am since I was, you know, brought kidnapped and stolen over here to America. Uh, But when I think about that experience, this is where Liz and I met and we started our bond and our friendship and our kinship. But in the book, I literally had to stop for a second and just sit and let all the colors and the pieces that you created around when you were describing this place the, um, where your main characters live and you were talking about the black mamba and so i know a lot of times that like if you never lived in africa but you better learn quickly about the black mamba okay it is daily from birth and is very much so slender and can be anywhere i.e when we worked overseas it was in a copier machine Imagine how scary that was. Wow. Up a sheet and it's like, hello. I was like, it did. No copy from me. <laughs> wow. Nothing. Um, but then you talked about the jungle, right? And all this imagery about how it looks. And I think about those moments that Liz and I were working out there. And sometimes you would stop and see the greenery. And you would just mm-hmm. be so in awe because I'm like, I've never seen this green shade before, right? And the vastness of what I'm looking at. But then you start thinking about like the, the other pieces. You talked about this caretakers and the elderly and the bustle of the streets and how packed the vendors were and like all of these emotions and feelings as a person who has lived and traveled. I I started to get engulfed in that community again because I remember what it felt like. I remember I was like, it's been so long that I allowed this to wrap me in a blanket. And for me to be curious and remember And also now take on these new stories that now are in this place that I once had a chance to be, you know, loved in. So I just want to ask, like, what has, what travel experiences, I mean, I know you talk about living in Ghana, but what in general has kind of drove you to be so detailed and so um, um, created this strong energy so that others can feel a place that they've never been?
2: Well, well, thank you so much. i'm so I'm so glad that it's that my like words were able to do that. Um, one of my friends, who's an author said it's cool because we work with black and white paint. The paper is white, the ink is black, and we make colors from it. Um, and I think that's one of the coolest things about being an author is all we have are the words, but we're painting. Um, you know, I think again, it's it's I would love to say it's some like like really well thought out reasoning, but I, I write what I love to read and I love big, vivid worlds. It's my favorite part of fantasy. It's getting to truly feel lost in another world and so lost that I look up and I'm like, where am I? <laughs> um, that's the kind of reading experience I've always really enjoyed. You know, when I wasn't, when I didn't have many friends in school or summer camp, nobody would play with me. I didn't really mind, to be honest with you, because I didn't need them. I had my friends in my books. I, could, I didn't have to be at YMCA camp in Atlanta. I could go to whatever magical land and have an adventure there. Um, so I think with Beasts of Prey, I tried to do that. I, I tried to write a book where, where, you know, for for people who Want that bit of escape, whether it's for 15 minutes or an hour, they can go into that world and and picture the Greater Jungle and picture the city of Lakosa and the markets and the vendors and the and the temple with all of the books written by Black people um, and just kind of escape from from reality for
1: a while. You know what? I just had a thought. I might ha- we might end up creating a book club. I'm just saying. Ooh. And if you're willing, Ayana, to come back, let's get some of our listeners to, I've already said it, it's on the recording and Buddy isn't editing this out we'll create a little book club and read your, your two books. And then plus your trilogy. Shara's like, what? These things pop up. Don't into- put
0: her on the spot like that. Like she <laughs> no, just did no. us a favor. She just did us one favor today. She's you part- just part- gave her a three part <laughs> harmony series. Like-
2: <laughs> it's totally okay. It's, I love book clubs. They're probably the most earnest and genuine part of my job. And um no I I love it like so y'all let me know when
1: and I'll I'll come back see sheriff you don't ask you don't Over get quest.
0: Yeah. I'm proud of you Liz I'm proud oh, of thanks, you but I thanks. was definitely like girl <laughs> come on we just like one
1: well you know My- Ayana you spoke a lot about the the um kind of escape from realities that books allow us and it gives mm-hmm. us it gives us a community when we don't have it. It gives us stability when we don't have that. And I try to instill that a lot in my, um, with my kids as well too. And saying like, I never tell them no when it comes to books. And I went away from books for a long, long time. And it wasn't until the pandemic when I started picking up reading again. And then, and and it helped me feel like, I belonged somewhere, and i didn't feel lonely and i felt i i i just I, I took away from the stresses of the pandemic and the stress of keeping my kids safe, keeping my family safe um ensuring that all my friends had you know so a community to be with and 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 honestly like out of that books and those escapes then came almost like this podcast really was it was like how do we create these stories and and how do we create that impact of community and belonging into a wider space and so i know you write books and that was kind of your impact but that that was our impact is is the podcast and like and so i i we i really relate with with that aspect of your story is you know your impact is a, a, is bigger than you are and so you do what you love and we love talking so that's why we did a podcast <laughs>
2: find your gift. And then you just lean into it.
1: Absolutely.
2: Well, I have a question because,
0: you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, are trying to grow in the moment and they're not a hundred percent sure or feel confident sometimes about whether or not they're on the right path. And Oftentimes in our coaching practice, we hear a lot of things around. Oh well, you know, I just got a new job, or you know, I I I got I just had a child, or you know, I move in, I'm moving. You know, I'm like just layer it, right? Uh, You know, my commute is long, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There's all these um, these uh, beliefs why you shouldn't do something, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that you mentioned this in your in your author stop um, author talk about, you know, that you have a demanding timeline, not just in your being an author, but in your life, right? Like that you require a level of creativity to kind of engage within yourself to kind of build these, these, uh, these places. But mm-hmm. I, I guess one of the things I guess we want to understand that often is what our clients ask about, right? Which are, and our listeners ask about, which is, you know, how do you dis- once you decide that something is important to you, what are those systems that you put in place to to look after yourself or have self-care or to protect it?
2: Um, you know, I'll I'll, I'll admit very freely, I'm still working on this. It's it's probably going to be a lifelong um journey to learning how to um be creative, how to st- establish boundaries, how to find balance, especially as a self-employed person. Um, Little there are a few little things that helped me, and I didn't think about it till recently, but I started creating um I don't know if you all have seen bullet journals. Um, there are lots of different kinds. I made my own on like Google Excel, but basically you have um vertically, you have a list of things that you want to accomplish in each day. and then you have like little boxes. And every time you accomplish one of the things you can color in the box or check off the box, whatever. There are really cute ones you can get like online. But again, I just, I just made my own on my computer. Um, and it's interesting because over time I do one for each month. So over time, it's interesting. I see there are some months where, for example I have on my list, go to bed by midnight because sleep is important. Um, I have writing, I have drink water. I have eat a fruit or vegetable. I have talk with a loved one on there. I have exercise on there, write, whatever. And what I've noticed is that I can do all the things, but not all the time, all at once. So there might be days, for example, yesterday, where I checked off, I took my siblings to lunch randomly. I exercised in the morning, I drank water, I accomplished all these things here. I got writing done, but I didn't go to bed by midnight. (laughs) I just couldn't, I had too many other things. And I just, I looked up and suddenly it was past midnight. And it's a reminder, a physical, visual reminder to me that I can get things done. It's okay if I don't get every check off, everything on my list every day. It's okay if sometimes I do make myself, I may not write, but I got to bed early and I had quality time with my spouse or my parents or my sibling. I took my dog for a walk. I read something that I really enjoyed. I learned something new Um So I think for me, anyway, visually seeing that and being like, hey, I actually did accomplish some things today. I don't have to feel bad about that has been really helpful. Um, Turning my phone off, really utilizing that do not disturb option has been a game changer, especially I have an iPhone and now there are different kinds of do not disturb. So I can have do not disturb except for my family. I can have do not disturb except for for this block of time and my phone doesn't ring. And I don't feel like I have to check it or have it in my hand all the time. And I can utilize that time to go take a walk, to go read, to go clean my apartment, because I like to clean. Um, And that's a boundary that I'm kind of putting up, you know, for my mental health and saying, I don't want to be on social media right now. Um, So I'm trying out new things all the time. But I think, you know, as long as you are trying, that's what counts. Like there are days when I don't feel like I have any boundaries and (laughs) people are messaging me up at all ends and I feel like I I feel obligated to answer everybody and I feel like I'm not doing a very good job and then there are days when I'm really good at being like nope today's today I'm gonna go with my spouse and we're gonna take a drive and I'm not gonna look at my phone today I'm just not um so as long as you are trying that's what counts
0: you and Liz must be kindred spirits because <laughs> I'm telling you right now, if you have put all our podcasts together, this is the that, that piece about self-care and the little things is what Liz has been so passionate in, in, in elevating because one of the things about it is we've over made self-care so complex. So I love the simplicity of the bullets because I like to check things off. I'm that person. Yeah, I'm like, me too. I'm a, once I check it off, I'll be like, I did something today
2: yeah it's really satisfying it's it's really satisfying actually and like people make design so people will have like red and orange and yellow and do pretty colors Ooh, I don't do that where it's are actually my highlighters? Really satisfying. yeah no it's actually I mean I like check off lists so it's super Look, satisfying I got a list. It Colors and, <laughs> and you know like mentally like I said you feel bad like oh I didn't my my house is a mess I didn't spend time with the kids but maybe you got up early and exercise like visually seeing, Hey, you did accomplish some things today or this month, I think is really good for your mental
1: health. Well, we're really big into using and instead of, or in our, in our journeys. So it's like, instead of saying, am I going to spend time with my family or am I going to exercise? And it's always going to be like, and, but it might not look the same every day. And, um, so I, I, love the use of the bullets as well as, ultimately giving yourself grace and saying, Mm -hmm. okay, I didn't accomplish everything, but I did do something. And I'm progressing in my value system and my boundaries, because I'll be honest, sometimes I feel like I set up this value system and I have these boundaries and it's like, oh man, I spent seven hours and 47 minutes on my social media usage time. (laughs) What was I doing? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, but social
2: media without starting a whole different conversation Social media is insidious. It people make a lot of money, and that's why it's insidious. I mean, there are some like TikTok. You, it, it wants you to be on it. It will do things like with the algorithm. It knows what to do to keep you there. Um, and I really hate that, actually. But um, it's a reality. So, like, when I feel bad about it, I'm like, you know, the reason I was on Facebook for four hours is because it, it, it is like I have to actively remind myself, turn it off, turn it off, because. It knows. It knows I like elephants. It knows I (laughs) like (laughs) books. It knows I like Black heart.
0: But I'll tell you one thing that I noticed, and I mean, I want the listeners and everybody to pressure test it. I have looked up young adult Black authors so many times, not just in my web, not just in like um, Instagram, and it does not populate as high as the mm-hmm. other things that I've looked up. And I kind of been, I mean, since we've met, I've been literally like, let me look up. So let me be in, you know, do my research. And still the other things that are not like that I that I indulge in, and you know, that's not all healthy and all progressive, it's still popping up higher. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because it didn't even pop up uh to the to the people who like to uh, to to put uh subtle suggestions in your uh, cart. It didn't even pop up new books specifically from Black authors. So Mm. books popped up, but they weren't Black author books that I have been researching. They were just children books, right, of most of them predominantly white authors. But what I I found that to be so interesting because oftentimes, you're right, it's playing to a certain algorithm and it's pushing you towards a certain way. But sometimes when you put in those pieces that are diverse, um, and we're going to have a tech series come up soon, so we're going to add this to one of the questions. But when you start putting in the interests that are outside of where kind of, I guess, the algorithm wants you to go, you don't get the same level of promotion. Have you seen that kind of
2: in your work as you think about promotion or authorship in, in, in other spaces? Um. Yes and no. I think I've had a lot of privilege like in that I've had a lot of um, support from my publisher with my books. Um, But it has been interesting to see in-house, out, and outside of my publisher, even the way my books are framed. And I've had to really very vocally and very consistently make sure that my books don't get niched as Black book, like just Black book. Or let's compare your book to another Black fantasy author, Simply because you are both black, your books have nothing to do with each other. But you're both black. You both write fantasy, because um, we we see that white male fantasy authors don't get compared to each other nearly as much. Sometimes the comparison happens, but you know there are they're they're allowed to exist in their own spaces as individuals and not be oh are you going to be the next this the next that. Um, so I've had to very just vocally say like. I want this book to be able to stand on its own two feet. I don't want someone to say like in the future to say, are you the next Siona Gray? No, they're not the next Siona Gray. I'm not the next Tony Morrison, whatever. Like I'm just me. <laughs> I'm just me existing in this space, trying to create a space for myself. Um, yeah. So that's happened. Um, but publishing is getting better because people are calling it out. And I think there is an effort to do better.
1: I love that I will mic say, drop. I was with that whole. I was gonna
0: say Mike drop, and also you're in good company because Jordan Peele had to say the same thing uh, last week when people kept trying to compare him to like Wes Craven and all these other well notable um, movie uh, directors who do horror or thrill right? And he yeah. basically said, you will not, he was like, first of all, you will not put me and these other individuals in the same space. They, we have all carved our spaces and deserve our individual respect for what we yep. contribute to the genre. And I, and I think it was one of those moments where people were like, oh, yeah, Because they realized that they didn't do that with Wes Craven and the others. I mean, the rest of, I mean, like the, the people who do that same genre, they don't compare against the two. But They, for some reason, they were like, are you, are you trying to be the next? And he was like, no, I'm who I am. Well, and, and go,
2: ahead. go ahead, go ahead. You you made me think, it's interesting, you brought up Jordan Peele because what we're seeing now with Jordan Peele and Ryan Coogler is that anytime a black person has a film or book or media that involves Blackness and horror, what does it get comped to now? Get out, meets this and this. Anytime we have any kind of Black speculative bits, is your work like the next Black Panther? And honestly, Black Panther is a bit of Afrofuturism, which my book, Beasts of Prey, is not Afrofuturism. It's like fantasy set in an old historic age. But I get that question a lot. Is your book like Black Panther? Simply because you've never seen Black people in an imaginative space before in a big way. And it's lazy to me. Um, I know not everybody does it with ill, harmful intent, but we've got to expand past that. There have to be, there has to be more than Black Panther and Get Out. Um, black, yeah, I, I, it's hard because I don't want to make like my again. Natural inclination as a black woman is to soften and not want to make anybody feel bad. Yeah. Um, because I but know it's, it's not. We're
0: not monolithic. Like it's, it, it just mm-hmm. as people, we're not monolithic. And just as genres or with skill sets, we're not monolithic. And once again, that that stereotyping of how we should or or, or what's the constraints in society are showing up. Because mm-hmm. candidly, there should be just as many authors that want to write, regardless of their background, in the space in which there there's an interest, right? Supply and demand, and the 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 piece that i always find interesting is how much you want to limit when the the, the supplies from under the demand is from underrepresented groups versus right. when it's a it's a mass appeal and it's almost like that that transition is like you can be very popular in one space, but until you cross over and feel more popular in in these defined terms and, and genre spaces, it doesn't really kind of get the same recognition as mass appeal. But I hope we 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 stop that. Like we start just really blurring the boundaries around it because. I think it goes back to one of the, one of the questions we have, and I know we have to wrap up So One of our, uh, one of our listeners asked, like, how do we advocate for black authors in this space um, other than just purchasing a book? Because it's such a need and it's so great, but it's so limiting at times, Mm -hmm. like to find, to get access to what is um, available.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, I think um, besides, and I, I think I might've mentioned this at Kindred, stories when I was there. Besides buying the books, which is helpful, um, I tell people a lot that if you don't have the money to say be, you know, buying books left and right, request them at the library. That actually makes a huge difference. When librarians, because they have their databases, when librarians see that certain books are getting requested a lot, they buy more. And they mention to other librarian branches, this book is flying off the shelf, we have to buy more copies to meet up with the demand. Um, So that can help. Talking about books that you really enjoy, telling is like when you read something that you're like, this was so good, tell other people about it. Word of mouth is, has been, will probably always be the best marketing tool. And it's free and people, corporate offices have tried to figure out how to to buy into it, but you can't because word of mouth is authentic. When somebody genuinely, that's why book talk is doing really well right now. It's just digitized word of mouth. People talking about books they are obsessed with and then people want them. Um, So, you know, buying and and talking about it, all of those things are helpful. Coming when you hear about a Black author coming to your local town, coming and showing a big crowd so that their publisher can see, oh, there is an audience and people who want more of your stories. Because publishing is very, calculating in this they have profit and loss sheets and they sell they'll say well we gave you this much money you've earned this much back therefore we should pay you this or we should buy more books from you like it's very mathematical in that sense so um every every library request purchase recommendation counts um those are the things i would say to okay y'all hear it y'all
1: go buy your books Buy it on Kindle and on your library and physical copies. And we're going to have our book club. (laughs) Yeah. I got to do a shout out to
0: Black-owned bookstores, okay? Yes. Go, go first. I know it may be a little bit more work. Go get them, please. Just try if you're a hard copy
1: yes. person yes
0: I know we have to wrap up but one last thing um and then Liz will do a uh, send us into reflection but um what are some of the resources or tools that you found as an author to be very useful for you and the reason I ask this question is because there's a number of listeners who have either aspired to write or or publish themselves um mm-hmm. but they're But also I was curious because when I was at that author talk, it was three other authors in the room and they all were like in this community. And each one was like, you were a reason for this. And it was this conversation Mm -hmm. that I was like, okay, so first of all, how does this work? And what (laughs) are the resources and tools to kind of make this space available for people of color or Black authors? So...
2: Yeah. So as much as I've just like decried social media and said, I hate it. And I still have an if relationship with it. um, When I was like uh, in the early parts of my publishing journey, Twitter was really helpful for me finding people, especially finding people of color who were trying to do what I was trying to do. There are events like it's, this is a great time. It's August in two, three months national novel writing month is in November and it's free and you just sign up and make an account. And it's this thing for a month where you're writing a little bit each day with a big community of people. I found a lot of friends through that. Um, so I, I utilize social media to, to, to connect with people and ask questions and say, hey, have you heard about this agent? Or have you, what do you think of this? Like Just asking very honest, candid questions. And And some people will respond, some people won't. Focus on the people who do. That's how I built my community. I love Scrivener just to be a total nerd. Like when it comes to straight up writing, like Scrivener is a really cool bit of software. I think it's like fifty bucks one time, and it's it's really cool for writing. Um, so I love using Scrivener, uh, and then books. Like people underestimate it, but I I love reading as a way to refill my creative well. Reading books, watching movies, listening to music, these things that bring me joy in my personal life that kind of make me remember why I enjoy
1: storytelling. So what what. What are the books that you're currently reading now? Just to give a shout out.
2: Oh, you put me on the spot. Um, What am I reading? What did I, oh, I'm reading a really cool adult fantasy actually. So um, it's like a con, you know, I love cons and heists and it's a Venetian kind of renaissance era story called Mask of Mirrors. It's so good, big world building. So again, I love reading world, big big world building and I like writing it. I just finished Game of Thrones actually
1: after putting it off for many years. um that I'm takes reading. that takes a commitment because i started yeah the, I, fr- I listened to the first one and it was like 40 hours, 27 hours of listening and i was like yeah. oh my gosh this it's, is a it's commitment, a commitment. <laughs> um yes and then um house of marion which
2: jl who is a houston-based author uh the announcement for that book finally came out the day beasts of ruin came out so it's not a secret anymore it's um oh gosh she pitched it as like kind of black bridgerton um but this girl whose grandmother is the head of a kind of uh, debutante society and she finds out that she exists and goes to her um and goes to her and has to kind of control this ma- this sinister magic that she uh has and doesn't know how to control and it's like black glamour but also like all the trappings of ya fantasy in there and there's a a boy who is like they're not friends at all at first enemies to lovers and like it's got all the things that i really enjoy so i'm reading that's a big book too i am reading that one on my kindle because you can send pdfs to your kindle um so a lot of my friends their books that are not published yet they'll email it to me then i'll email it to my kindle and that's how i read them (laughs) d-shirt.
1: Kendall's it? looking a little better and better. I'm well I'm, say, gi- I'm giving I'm, you one. I have one so you're just gonna have it. I know. I've been trying not
0: it. to take it Ayana. I've been trying to <laughs> I, have, I literally move fast so she can't give it to me because I first and foremost I love to listen but I also do like to read hard like
2: hard covers. So I like your book. You I know, it? but See? it's,
0: it's, it's at not this. or.
2: See, what, it's like you said it's not or it's and. So See,
0: Y'all teaming up
1: on
2: me. This is y'all kindred, the kindred spirits here. Okay.
1: I know. Well, I feel like I up. have a I have another sister. I'm gonna add you to my sister list too. So stop I, Liz. I, stop, I know. Please. I just have family everywhere. I'm <laughs> sorry no. it's
2: okay. I'm like that too. I'm a Pisces. I'm just very emotional. I'm very a
1: Pisces relaxed. too.
0: Oh See? yeah. It's Listen. Just, I just don't everyone. start it. Don't start it. Cause Liz will <laughs> pick you up and start texting, emailing you like um inspirational quotes and just remind this, I'm telling you, you know what you signed up for and everybody heard it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: everybody heard it. Well, we are, we are going to get that book club ready um, to go and then we'll invite you back. And if you're free, you're free. I know you're taking a couple of months off to, to take care of yourself and whatnot, but we definitely will have this book club and we'll, hopefully you can come back and, and join our book club and, and it'll be, it'll be a private event with our kind of listeners and everything. So, Ayana, yeah. thank you so much for joining us today. What a great conversation. I learned so much about it. And um, yeah, just this is just, it's rich. It's, it's beautiful and wonderful. And we'll uh, post this episode on Apple Podcasts. We are on YouTube now. We're on Spotify. Uh, you can catch us on Facebook. Uh, video as well too. You can follow us on Instagram at more than words podcast. Um, if you have any questions for Ayana or any questions for us, please email us at Liz and Shara at more than words podcast.com. All right, Ayana, thank you so much.